Welcome to the Greg Steer Youth Ministry Podcast. I believe in the power of the gospel and the potential of teens. And I believe the best way to get teenagers to grow is to get them to go and share the gospel. I encourage you, subscribe to this podcast. It's not a podcast. It's a podcast. Rate it. Review it. Get it out there. Help spread the word to youth leaders that it's time for a revolution in youth ministry that will result in every teen everywhere hearing the gospel from a friend. I'm really excited about our guest today. Our guest is Elisa Childers. Some of you may remember her from the early 2000s, a member of the contemporary Christian music group, Zoe Girl. I remember Zoe Girl. Awesome. She had a string of top 10 radio releases, even won a Dove Award. She's a wife, a mom, author, blogger, speaker, worship leader, popular speaker at apologetics and Christian worldview conferences. She's been published at the Gospel Coalition, the Christian Post, Crosswalk, The Stream, Everywhere, literally everywhere. Um, she's uh, got a new book that I read. It is phenomenal. It's called Another Gospel, A Lifelong Christian Seeks Truth in Response to Progressive Christianity. Don't let that long title intimidate you. It is an easy-to-read and very solid, practical, youth ministry necessary book. came out last year, uh, and it is an authentic and vulnerable recounting of her faith journey that was almost consumed by progressive Christianity. Elisa, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. Oh, it's great to be with you, Greg. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, so you, you had, let's just dive right in. I mean, read the book. I love the way you laid it out. You kind of just told bits and pieces of your story and then kind of expounded. So tell us, how did you uh, get involved with this church? And what was that kind of slow decline into um, the seeking of the unraveling of your faith through this progressive uh, message? Yeah. So you mentioned I was in uh, Zoe Girl for a while. So I grew up in a Christian home, had Christian parents. And uh, when you're a traveling musician on the road, it can be a very isolating experience. And there are, I think, certain factors about having had that experience that made me vulnerable to a church like this. For example, we traveled around and basically experienced every type of church there is in the under Christendom. And there were some really good experiences and there were some not so good experiences. And uh, when you're put up on a pedestal like that, you know, of course, we know humans were not created to receive praise and admiration like that. It can be very difficult uh, type of lifestyle because you're kind of in a fishbowl all the time. You almost feel like you're a traveling zoo exhibit. And, and yet at the same time, the people you're going to to minister to or to sing to or your brothers and sisters in Christ. So it was always this, there, there was a tension underneath that for me. And I observed some things in evangelical culture that I, I, I felt like there needed to be some reform. There needed to be some change. And so I met some people who had some of those same concerns. And they were at this church that my husband and I began to attend after Zoe Girl had come off the road. Of course, I had no idea that at the time that in bringing some legitimate critiques to evangelical culture, they were willing to throw the gospel out with it. I didn't know that in the beginning. And so the pastor of the church invited me to be a part of a smaller study and discussion type group 
And he compared it to seminary. He said, if you come to this four-year class, you're going to come out on the other side of it with a seminary-level education. Now, this sounded really exciting to me because I had never really investigated the intellectual side of my faith. I was raised charismatic, and, uh, you know, I love I, no slam to charismatics, but I just, I never learned systematic theology or hermeneutics or anything like that. And so I just, I interpreted the Bible, I think looking back on it a bit subjectively and uh, so I knew the Bible, but I didn't have a, a real strong intellectual backing. And in this class, the pastor, uh, I found out later, actually, and I actually found out this out after I wrote the book, so this isn't in the book, but I found out later that the pastor was actually already deconstructed. He had already gone through the process of pulling his faith apart and rejecting a lot of core tenets of the Christian faith. But he was pretending to be more orthodox to try to get people into uh, mm. The throes of dis of deconstruction. He commented on a video years after that that was his goal. His goal was to try. He wanted to move people into progressive Christianity, but he thought if I can just get them into deconstruction, then that's that's the first goal. And so that's what he was trying to do with this class that I was in. So if we were going to be studying the reliability of the Bible, it was all of this skeptical information about the reliability of the Bible. There, we were questioning whether the people in the Bible actually existed as real people whether or not the the cross was the the atoning work of Jesus or if it was just him getting crucified for speaking truth to power or something like that and so while i was in the class i would try to argue with him and i would try to refute him even though i didn't really know how i would google stuff and then try to try to bring my arguments but there came a point in time when it was very clear to my husband and i that we needed to leave this church and it was at that point that uh, my faith began to unravel. I was isolated. I had a, I was married with a new baby in tow. And as new moms know, especially with your first one, it's a really isolating time anyway. And so I began to deconstruct. And I think it's probably more accurate to say someone deconstructed me because I didn't want to deconstruct. I didn't want to doubt my faith. I loved the gospel. I found it beautiful. I loved Jesus all my life. I didn't want for it to not be true. And yet at the same time, somebody had basically intellectually convinced me that it wasn't true. And so I cried out to God and asked him to, to send me a lifeboat because I felt like I was drowning in a sea of doubt. And it was really through the discovery of apologetics, and I began to study mm -hmm. that God reconstructed my faith. And there were course corrections mm -hmm. along the way, of course. But I, I stand on the other side of it now, just so thankful to God for his faithfulness to bring me through that, but also to provide me the opportunity to possibly help somebody else that might be going through something similar. You know, it's interesting. <clears throat> As you speak, I remember watching my first NUMA video uh, that Rob Bell put together. And I walked out uh, and I, I said, I think that dude is a universalist. And everybody's like, what are you talking about? And it's what I call the hiss factor. Mm. Like Satan, the serpent, did God really say? And whenever I hear somebody that begins a conversation or weaves in, did God really say this? I think of the serpent in the garden. Um, and I see a lot of that, a lot of questioning of some of these core tenets. And it sounds like this pastor was was asking the same question. Did God really say about what, whatever, the atonement or the authority of Scripture or inerrancy or whatever the subject may be? What, were, what are some of the 
what would you identify as the key pillars? And I know it varies, mm-hmm. you know, from group, but what were, what are some of the key pillars of what would be a progressive Christian? Right. And so this is something I discovered years later because the relevant piece of information here is that, you know, obviously I went through this process and then I wrote a book about progressive Christianity. Well, why progressive Christianity? That's because years later, this church that I had been at went on to identify themselves as a progressive Christian community. They took down the apostles and Nicene creeds and they wrote their own creed and put that up. And when I first saw that phrase, progressive Christianity, I knew instinctively what it meant because that's what I had just walked through. But after my own faith was reconstructed, I spent a couple of years and just read all of the progressive Christian books that I could read from people who identify themselves as progressive Christians and are part of that community in community together, doing conferences together and endorsing each other's books and that sort of thing. And just try to get my hands around what it actually is, because it's very hard to define. Because in general, progressive Christianity is not defined by what one affirms. In other words, if we look back throughout history and Christianity has been largely a creedal religion, now that doesn't mean that it's just giving in a intellectual assent to a bunch of doctrines. That's not what we mean by that. But Christians have always wanted to stay on the same page as far as what the core beliefs are, the the core motivating factors of what we believe, why we're willing to die for these beliefs, and what are they. And so in progressive Christianity, it just doesn't really work like that. You can Mm -hmm. affirm the resurrection. You can uh, deny the resurrection. You can, uh, there are certain, it's just, there's no qualifications that you have to say, yes, I believe these things, therefore I'm a progressive Christian. However, in my study and research of the movement, what I discovered was that it actually can be defined really more by its denials. And so Mm. what we see almost across the board in progressive Christianity is a denial of the doctrine of original sin in, in, in the sense that human beings have a sin nature. We're inclined towards sin. And Uh, You know, even the Eastern Orthodox Church, although they might not use the phrase original sin, they still believe there's something about us that makes us inclined toward this sinful nature. And historically, we've called that original sin. This has been passed down from Adam and Eve to us. Of course, we know that God is holy, and so he can't have any unity with sin, which makes a separation. So in in progressive Christianity, that's also denied. Largely speaking Mm. across the board, it's denied that your sin would separate you from God. You might, sure, you might sin sometimes. You might make mistakes and do wrongheaded things, even commit evils, but you're not separated from God, according to progressive Christianity. And of course, that would lead us into the cross, which, uh, historically speaking, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. This is in arguably the earliest creed in all of Christianity, dating back to the first century. This is what Christians believed. There was a divine sacrificial purpose to Jesus' death. But in progressive Christianity, the idea that God would require that, that type of sacrifice, turns him into a cosmic abuser. And so you'll often hear the, the phrase cosmic child abuse. And then, you know, resurrection, there's going to be a bit of a mixed bag on the resurrection. Mm. There are progressive Christians who still would say, yes, I do believe Jesus in some sense was physically resurrected. Many would say it doesn't matter 
because that's not really what it's all about. So there's there's at least an implicit or an explicit denial of the resurrection. And then coming into final things, you know, like you mentioned, Rob Bell, progressive Christianity is largely, uh, well, I would say universally universalistic. Does that make sense? Universally hmm. universalistic. It's now, perfect. they may not use the word universalism. Some use phrases like universal reconciliation or Christocentric reconciliation or universalism where they're saying, no, it's still, it all, still all happens through Christ, but Christ accomplished it for the whole world. So nobody, nobody is going to be judged in a place called hell or punished in a place called hell. And so I think if we trace it through its denials, those would be the main sort of pillars that fall um, in opposition to historic mm -hmm. Christianity. But the biggest pillar, I think, is just the view of the Bible. In progressive yeah. Christianity, the Bible's not viewed as inerrant or authoritative. It's not viewed as in, in its entire as the word of God. And that's, I think, where they're getting, um, where, they're, where they have the freedom to reframe a lot of these historic doctrines. Yeah, it's one of the things that we do at Dare to Share is really try to help youth leaders build what we call gospel advancing networks in their city. So they work together to reach every teen in the whole city with the gospel, teens reaching teens. So we do what we call 175, one vision, seven values, and then the five truths that unite us. We just, God, we define that, you know, the Trinity, basic Trinitarian doctrine, God's son, you know, we define him, fully God, fully human, you know, died literally on the cross, rose physically from the grave, coming back again someday. God's spirit dwells us at the moment of salvation, third person of the Trinity. Uh, God's word, you know, inspired, inerrant, in charge, and then gospel. Uh, and we have a gospel acrostic that we just kind of lay out the gospel message. What we tell youth leaders is that those core truths don't divide us. They unite us yes. because if you can't agree on all five of those, we may not be playing on the same team. And uh, so we talk about, we're not talking about, you know, ecumenical unity, but theological unity, sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. It brings us together. So I really, it's, it's really eye opening. And this book, I just put another plug in for another gospel. You really lay that out. I mean, I th man, I look at progressive Christianity as a direct attack on the character of God, on the word of God, and on the gospel of Jesus Christ. You take away the atonement. You take away propitiation. You know, Somebody once told me, they said, well, atonement is important, but it's like one golf club, uh, and there are several golf clubs. You know, and I'm like, no, no, no. Atonement, the propitiation of Christ, that, you know, when he died in our place for our sins, that's the bag that hauls all the other mm. clubs. I mean, it's so vitally important uh, to, to know that Christ died for our sins. I mean, the original creed, you know, what I received, I also passed on to you. You know, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. We rose again from the dead according to the scriptures. I mean, died for our sins in our place. That's the punchline mm -hmm. of the gospel message and so vitally important. So I'm saying that because youth leaders listening to this, sometimes we get, we, we want to love everybody and we should love everybody, you know, uh, even false teachers. We love everybody, right? Yeah. But we need to understand Satan is using these theologies under the guise of progressive Christianity. And I hate the phrase progressive <laughs> Because to me, it's regressive back to the early heresies. Mm -hmm. um, but to destroy the faith of young people, according to the Great Opportunity Report, we're on track to lose a million young people from the church every year between now and 2050. So 35 million teenagers is their best case scenario. will bag their faith 
uh, if something doesn't change. So I just want to get youth leaders' attention and say this is an important issue. This is not just a theological discussion that's good for seminaries. This is a practical discussion that's good for the youth room. So anyway, mm. to frame that, not to, not to put any pressure on you youth leaders, but you need to get this book and read it. All right. <laughs> I don't give many directives, but do it. All right. So what was it? You're, you're in this hot mess, you know, of bad theology. What began to rescue you from maybe the doubts, confusion that this hornet's nest stirred up? What was that process that kind of brought you back to the need for theology and, and core Christian doctrines? Well, I had to go take many, many steps back from that. So when I was in my own process of deconstruction, again, not that I wanted to be in that and I didn't understand what was happening to me at the time. I just felt like I was losing my faith and pillars were falling right one after the other. I, I really got to the point where I never was tempted to become a progressive Christian because I knew that if the gospel wasn't true, why would I still call myself a Christian? Why mm. would I basically do everything I could do in the world, but still have to go to church? <laughs> you know, basically like, why would I, why would I do that? Why would I still have rules I have to follow when I'm living like the world anyway? And so that wasn't really a temptation for me. But like I mentioned before, I thought the gospel was beautiful. I wanted it to be true. But what ended up happening in my process is that I I went way beyond that to where I was truly wondering if there even was a deity. If if the pastor might and I'll back up a little bit because again I told you that I didn't have much of an intellectual backing, but I always I'm a touchy feely feeler artist kind of person, right? So all my life for me, every time I would go to youth camp or every time I would go on a mission trip. And I would feel what I associated with the presence of God. That was evidence for me that what I believed was mm. true. So every time we would have worship at camp meetings or, or worship or I would sing and I would feel something rise up in me that was supernatural. And, and I knew that that was God. And so I knew that I had mm. found the truth. But when the pastor was, we did a whole class, um, I don't know if it was the whole class, but there was a significant amount of discussion around that type of thing and how you can actually even take a pill that will make you feel those feelings. They called it the God pill or something like that. There are machines you can step into that that can make you experience that type of a psychological phenomenon. So I was, I had become convinced that every time that happened, because I found the gospel beautiful that I had connected that transcendent experience with the gospel, thus confirming the truth of it to me. Mm. And I remember in the class, they were talking about how Mormons feel that. They had that burning in the bosom. There's yeah. uh, Muslims who will tell you, I just feel this sense of, uh, you know, it's palpable to me that the Quran is true. And, and if, when I was really intellectually honest, I couldn't distinguish why I believed what I did from what mm. the reasons they were giving why they believed it was true. And so I was really messed up in the head thinking, okay, so like my brain just created those synapses were firing and, and my brain was creating that response. And so does God even exist at all? Or is this just mm -hmm. a brain function thing? And so I, um, how it looked was I, I basically, like I mentioned, I cried out to God. I, I heard some apologetics on the radio 
And, uh, you know, kind of the, the sad part of my story is that the first apologist I ever heard was Ravi Zacharias, who, of course, now has been, uh, you know, the, the findings have shown that he was an abuser and there was, uh, you know, people can go and look at that. But I'm so thankful that all my life, my parents always told me, don't put your faith in people, put your faith in mm -hmm. Christ. And so I can still look at that as something God brought across my path. You know, um, he was, his ministry was a lifeboat to me. That lifeboat sank, but I'm still here because it was truth that was given to me. And truth is independent of the person speaking it. Person can be a charlatan and still speak truth. So uh, whatever that was, yeah, that's I mean, how you look at you look at Philippians one, some give the gospel in a selfish ambition, yes. but the gospel is given and therefore that I rejoice. That's you know? right. And so, so I, I that do truth rejoice. that was given became your lifeboat. Yeah, it that's did. Awesome. It really did. And it got me where I needed to go. I found a seminary. So I started taking seminary classes at Southern Evangelical mm -hmm. Seminary. And that was probably the most hugely formative part of my reconstruction, I would say, because mm. um, what I love about the way SES does their classes is they give you all of the, uh, the skeptical positions. You have to learn all those first, and then they give you their position at the end. But you have to be able to defend mm. all the other ones. And I thought mm. that that was so helpful because they're actually they're, they're planting their feet to where I know what they believe, but they're teaching me, and I am having to, I'm having to read skeptical literature and things like that to understand. And so it really helped me to, to kind of figure out what I thought was true. But it was from the ground up. Like my first question was, does God exist? And that's why apologetics mm. was so helpful, because I'm looking at the cosmological argument, the moral argument. Both of those I found so incredibly compelling that I moved on fairly quickly saying, OK, I, I think it's it's necessary that a God exists. And then going through okay, if God exists, he's going to want to show himself and who, you know, look at the different religions and what, what is it? And mm. I just think that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus is so overwhelmingly powerful. I think the red, the evidence for the reliability of the gospels, uh, the is overwhelmingly powerful. And I really intellectually came to the place that my heart had been at my whole life. And that's that Christianity is mm. true. And so a lot of that had to do with the Bible. There was a lot of damage done as far as my view of if, if the Bible was even, you know, it's not about it even being reliable because I always as a child would say, oh, it's God's word. It's reliable. Nobody has to prove that to me. But when this pastor was able to convince me that it had been corrupted, that what they wrote in the first century wasn't even what mm -hmm. I was reading, I mean, that threw me for a loop. So getting into things like textual criticism and auditing classes on that and reading about it. And, and learning the reliability of both the manuscript transmission and the documents themselves was hugely, just a huge part of probably the biggest chunk of the reconstruction had to do with the Bible. Mm. That's so, it's so important. And, you know, as I listen to you, I think of Francis Schaeffer, who actually came to a crisis point in his life, locked himself in a barn, I think, in Switzerland, and just rethought Christianity from the ground up. And, and all those great works we have now from Francis Schaeffer came from, actually, he did, he did his own deconstruction and reconstruction, mm. but built on the solid foundation of God's word. And, boy, the church is still benefiting from his works that are almost just timeless in their, in their impact. So, it's, uh, so let's tie it, make the turn a little bit to, to youth ministry. Um, you know, we at Dare to Share, we train teenagers how to share the gospel and we train youth leaders how to train teenagers how to share the gospel but <clears throat> apologetics is crucially important in that in that process how important do you think it is for youth leaders 
to prioritize in, in their vast curriculum array apologetics uh, along with evangelism training and discipleship training uh, for their teenagers? Well, I would go so far as to say that evangelism training is, is apologetics. It's, it's indistinguishable. Um, Norm Geisler, the founder of the seminary I'm associated with, used to call it pre-evangelism. Apologetics is pre-evangelism. Mm -hmm. And what you're doing is essentially you're clearing obstacles people have where they can't see the cross because there's all these intellectual obstacles in front of it. So somebody's been told their whole life that the Bible's corrupted or there's a ton of mistakes in it. They're not going to listen to a word you say if you can't explain to them why the Bible is reliable. you got to back mm -hmm. up some steps. And if people aren't, and especially youth, if they're not prepared to do that, they're going to get eaten alive by this culture because yeah. we have, and I argue this in my next book that's coming out um, in about a year, but we've recreated the Tower of Babel with social media. Mm -hmm. Uh, we mm -hmm. have this huge tower ascending to the sky of information and words and words and words and words. And people have access to more information at their fingertips than they ever have in the history of the world. And our young people know how to use all that better than we do. Yeah. And so if they have a question, they're going to Google it and they're going to get 50 answers all from different worldviews, from different uh, analytical uh, uh, styles. And they're going to they're going to have mm -hmm. a really hard time figuring out what the truth is about things. We have to teach them to think critically. We have to give them reasons that the gospel is true. It's, it's mm. not going to be enough to simply be able to articulate the gospel. Can mm. the Holy Spirit use that? Absolutely. If a kid goes mm. and shares the gospel, the Holy Spirit can, can strike someone's heart and they can accept Jesus right there. Of course. You know, I'm not at all saying that people can be argued into the kingdom or this or that. But I, I have friends who work with youth a lot. I work with youth a bit. But I have friends who they'll, they'll take youth, they'll train them theologically, train them in the gospel and apologetics, and then they'll take them to secular college campuses to test it out. And I'll tell you, there is nothing... Are you talking, that, about, are you talking about Jonathan Morrow? Yeah, Jonathan does yeah. that. Impact 360, Sean McDowell does that. Brett uh, Kunkel yeah. at Maven Ministries does yeah. that. And, and they'll tell you when those kids go there and they get their worldview challenged, they go back and they're digging yeah. in their Bibles, they're Google, they're looking up stuff and, and so, they get excited. So, Elisa, just for 30 years, we've been doing that at Dare to Share and we, Love we it. filled arenas full of teens. Every event that we do, we take them out to share the gospel. And on an apologetics level, we do a simple street apologetics with the answer, with the statement, I don't know, but I'll find out. And let's keep talking. Yes. And so we say, don't feel like you have to know all the answers going out. You have That's enough right. answers, know the gospel, but then come back ready to learn and grow. I call it street apologetics. So by the time I was 15, I knew all the major apologetic arguments because I got burned yes. by people asking me good questions. I said, let's continue this conversation. Let me go study my Bible and talk to my youth leader. The problem is a lot of kids aren't getting that kind of training. That's right. They go off to college. They get asked by the philosophy 101 prof hard questions who does the deconstruction for them. They don't have the safety net to go back and talk to their youth leader on That's Wednesday right. night because they're no longer there. And so I, my philosophy is let's push them in to the deep end, have those conversations, and then we'll deconstruct and reconstruct in youth group. If you want your, I tell youth leaders, if you want your kids to, hey, ask you questions like, why do we believe in a trinity? How do we know the Bible's true? What about the resurrection? How do we know he physically rose from the grave? Get them sharing their faith. 
but then have them come back with those questions and that. And in that process, youth leaders, you may be saying, okay, well, what if they ask me questions I don't have the answers to? Well, you go through that same process, and I'm, I'm guaranteeing you, uh, another gospel is going to answer a lot of those questions. You got Sean McDowell. You got Josh McDowell. You got Lee Strobel. Who wrote the foreword? By the way, that's like Bruce Lee writing the forward to your Kung Fu manual. <laughs> right. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's um, exciting. So uh, good stuff. Um, so what would you challenge youth leaders with? What would you say to youth leaders and ministry leaders that are listening to the podcast in terms of their role and responsibility in discipling teenagers uh, and including apologetics and evangelism in that process? Yeah, man, I just, first of all, to all the youth leaders listening, thank you for accepting the call to equip the next generation because mm. I'm telling you, they they need that equipping so desperately and so, so much. And I think that just my encouragement to youth leaders would be, I know that there can, I think sometimes there can almost be this feeling like if I start if I start sitting my kids down and making them learn apologetics and making them learn theology, I'm going to lose half my youth group. And um, I, I think my encouragement to you would be that that's okay, first of all, uh, because I think what, what I've seen happen is once kids start to get excited about things like apologetics and they have lots of questions, so many questions, once you start engaging those questions, you don't have to do it in a way it's like, all right, now we're going to sit down and learn the cosmological argument. You, know, you don't have to do it like that. But maybe start with getting all your kids together and saying, guys, I want you to uh, anonymously write down your biggest question about God on a piece of paper, put it in a hat, and we're going to start going through these questions on Wednesday night. Now, that's how you that's how you engage kids and get them involved. Bring somebody yeah. in like uh, Brett Kunkel, uh, Sean McDowell does a really good job at this, doing an atheist role play where they'll pretend to be an atheist. And I'll tell you what, nothing gets kids more excited for apologetics than atheist role play. I, every time I do a series for young people at a church, I do. I'm atheist Amy, and I put on my glasses. And what happens That's is, awesome. you know, you have like a, a mediocre response in the beginning. It's like half the kids come for the apologetics thing or parents made them come or whatever. But then you do the atheist role play and they light up. And then the next mm -hmm. week they bring all their friends and the audience doubles. I've seen it happen more than once. Yeah. And yeah. so my encouragement to you is just find creative ways to do it. Again, you can do it in a way that is not just like, all right, sit down and open up your science books. You know, we can yeah. do this in a way that's really engaging. And I would just challenge youth, youth leaders to find those ways and, and bring people in to help you. There are so many people doing great apologetics with youth. That's great. It's, it's kicking the bucket over. Uh, and dealing with the questions, I, I think outside of this area, LGBTQ, uh, you know, how do we how do we view gender? I mean, all these questions where kids are are really asking and wrestling through, and we need to be able to hold the scriptures up and say, here's where the answers are, and how we how we deal with this. Years ago, we did a reality series at Dare to Share. We took a Mormon, a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Jew, a Jewish atheist, Seventh Day Adventist, and a surfing evangelical to Maui for eight days. And we tackled spirit. We tackled questions. Is there a God? What happens after you die? All these basic questions. We let everybody answer. And then I would share what the scriptures had to say. It by far was our most popular curriculum ever because it kicked the bucket over. Yeah. And it, youth groups, their time went from 90 minutes to, you know, double that because kids didn't want to leave. They want yeah. to deal with these questions. 
and if you get your kids on mission. So let me ask you this. How can people find out more about you, uh, your podcast, your ministry, your book? Where would you tell youth leaders to go to find out more about what you're doing? Well, everything you can find at elisachilders.com, but I, especially for youth leaders, I'd really love to just kind of put it out there, my YouTube channel. We started YouTube uh, about a year and a half ago, just kind of when COVID hit. We, we built mm. the studio and we started doing YouTube, and we went from 1,000 subscribers to over 110,000 subscribers. And wow. that's my, I, I'm pretty sure that's pretty much my biggest platform right now. And I make videos where I interview scholars, I interview people uh, that have some sort of relation to uh, either answering something that's coming from progressive Christianity or uh, something, you know, that has to do with discernment and things like that. Uh, you can mm. also, I have an audio podcast, the Elisa Childers podcast, but you can find all that on elisachilders.com. You know, I really appreciate your attitude and the way that you communicate. I've listened to some of your YouTubes and your podcasts, and I feel like you genuinely speak the truth in love. You care about people, um, but you you are speaking the truth. And I think it's uh, you put everything on the bottom shelf. I think it make it accessible. I was a roofer for eight years, so I was like, can I under basically, do I understand? Yes, I understand that, and I want to put it into practice. So thank you for your ministry, and uh, thank you for your impact on the church at large. And my prayer is that this will help even more get the word out to youth leaders so that um, these YouTube um, videos and your podcasts can really minister to teenagers and youth leaders as well. So thank you so much for being a part. Any last words? Are you good? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. It was really, it was a good conversation and I really enjoyed it. Great. Great. Well, now we're going to, we're going to make the switch. Uh, it's called the Greg Steer Youth Ministry Podcast. So uh, I've not been in youth ministry for three decades. So I have to bring in an actual youth leader uh, to talk about what Elisa uh, talked about, which was phenomenal. So this is Ben Phillips. Ben currently serves as the youth and young adults pastor at Mitchell Berean Church has been in full-time ministry for 13 years. He grew up in Awana Commander and a pastor's kid. He and his wife, Lene, have two kids, Micah, age four, Emery, age one. And in his own words, Ben loves fishing, outdoors, coffee, and talking about things my wife doesn't care about. There you go. Perfect. Uh, so, hey, tell us a little bit. How did, uh, what did you think of Elisa's uh, podcast? That was phenomenal. Oh, that was, that was awesome. You know, I had the privilege uh, a couple months ago of um, seeing her on another podcast and she was talking about her book. And so a friend of mine uh, who's kind of a partner in ministry with us here, uh, he and I said, let's get that book and let's start going through it. And so it was really cool mm. to, to have that book already, to be kind of going through it, having talked about it a lot and be looking at those things uh, and then to get invited on here to, to talk about it. it was just great because I already had that context going. So this is, yeah, it's just incredible to hear um, these things again and, and to kind of listen through um, just just looking for uh, for different stuff. I loved the the part of the kind of the pillars of progressive Christianity that it's not not based in in what they affirm but what they deny uh, and yeah. just kind of going through that was that was kind of a cool eye-opening way to look at it a little differently. I really enjoyed that. Well, and you see everybody and their brother seems to be these ex-evangelicals and kind of deconstructing their faith. And it seems like the latest kind of trend. So as a youth leader, how, how important, how, how much of the weight do you feel as a youth leader to really help your students not just understand, but embrace these core truths of Christianity? Oh, 
I mean, that's that's the whole foundation of what we do in youth ministry is uh, especially, I, you know, a, a decade ago in, in youth ministry wasn't it wasn't the same. There were certain questions being asked then um, that we would answer. And, and there was some some different things going on uh, then. But what we have now, I mean, this uh, this stuff is constant. Um, it used to be that my high schoolers would be asking these kind of questions. I now have sixth graders coming in with these kind of questions because hmm. they're hearing it everywhere. Uh, as you guys talked about, you know, we've got we've got the Internet. We've got uh, constant access to information and kids are asking questions on their first. That's the first place they run to. Uh, and so they come that, all this stuff. Wasn't yeah. that wasn't that interesting when she mentioned I'm looking forward to a book about the Tower of Babel, kind of the social media being that new that new way and, and Google and that's where kids are getting getting their facts from. Exactly. And how do we switch that to God's word and really help them understand that's the authority. So well, yeah, that that tie I mean, when you ask them what is the authority of information, where do you get this from? It's going to be the internet. TikTok's gonna yeah. have more authority than, than the Bible. Um, wow. and that's that's it, that's so scary. Fine. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, that's just where it's at. And so now, I, I really think that there were some great challenges in, in her book and in what she uh, um, shared uh, just today on stuff, the challenge to youth leaders of, of uh, asking questions or letting students ask questions. We've done that mm. every year for the last uh, probably seven years now. Um, mm. We do a series called Questionable, where we put out a bowl mm. and kids put questions in it. And so first year we did it, we had 180 questions come in and we answered wow. them eight weeks. Uh, and I mean, questions all across the board, but most of them. Uh, truly deal with these kind of issues that would lean towards progressive Christianity and the questions they have about stuff they've heard. So uh, it's amazing how common and constant it is, even in our rural context here, yeah. uh, because of the internet, it's it's all over. Uh, and there's so many sources that they're listening to and finding from. So I love, I love that questionable. My question is, do you spell it with a B-O-W-L at the end? I do. Questionable. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I knew it, man. That's why you're a youth leader. It's yep. great. So how does, you know, you're, you're neck deep in dare to share gospel advancing, you know, you're kind of one of those core gospel advancing leaders. Um, so how does this apply to a youth leader that is all about evangelism and discipleship? Um, how does this combine? Because you know, one, one of the things she mentioned is we don't want to become, you know, those, you know, nerdy, you know, we're just going to talk theology and we're just going to talk apologetics and we're going to stay locked up in our room. But how do those, how do those combine to become better together than separate? Well, we do, um, you know, we're constantly challenging students to go out and to carry the gospel. But one of the biggest fears that they bring up to us is what if my friend asks me a question I don't know the answer to? Mm. And of course, we use the, the thing of, well, you just tell them, I don't know, but I'll find out for you. And, and, yeah. and so they sometimes they do that. Sometimes they go with that. But we have a lot of them that won't open their mouths because they feel like they have no answers. So mm -hmm. we practice. Uh, I know that talked about doing the atheist role play and we do triple uh, A cafe that we stole from Lead the Cause one year and and uh, students role play with each other. And I got leaders that jump in and do that. Mm -hmm. So all over our youth room here, uh, we turn it into a coffee shop and let them practice that on a, about six times a year. So, so just AAA Cafe for youth leaders listening or watching that don't know what that means. Can you explain that? Yeah, absolutely. So what we're training them in is is a method of bringing up the gospel. We call it gospel fluency of ask, admire, and admit, uh, where they're asking great questions, trying to find out what someone believes. 
uh, and when they find out what they believe, they're not looking to then assume uh, what they know about that belief system. They want to continue to ask that they can find something about that person's specific belief that they can admire uh, without condoning a false belief. We want to admire yep. something that uh, that we can kind of like I can admire a Muslim that is so devoted to prayer. I can admire their devotion to prayer. Um, and then uh, we we get through that admire part to the point that then we, we open up the opportunity to admit why we have our faith in Christ mm -hmm. and Jesus. And in that asking and admiring piece, there's so many times that the apologetics is, is kind of the hidden A and the triple A there uh, that it has to come in where they have to be able to ans answer some questions. Yeah. And, and even in apologetics, knowing what questions to ask is very important. Yeah. Um, and that's something I've seen a good apologists. That's their big thing. They'll, their first way to answer someone's question often mm -hmm. is to ask one of their own in response. Uh, that helps open up exactly where they're going with it. And so that's something we really work to train students on here and our leaders on. Uh, because yeah. when we do like our questionable uh, every year, it's it, I answer questions. We have leaders answer questions. We bring guests in to answer questions and mm. our student leaders get up and answer questions. Mm. Uh, and so we're trying to train them all up because if if they feel like they can't answer a question to their friend, um, we want them to see it is easier than you think if you know what sources that are trustworthy that you can go to and learn. Yeah. Um, and, and if I can't answer the question, they're going to lose confidence that they there's no way they'll ever be able to answer the question. Yeah. But also there's times they'll bring up a question that I have to say, hey, I'm going to put that one off till week seven of this because I've got to do some studying and searching. And I'll be forward with them on that because they need to see, no, this is something we all have to grow and we all have to understand and learn in these things. And that helps build their confidence a lot that it's doable. Uh, and that there's no one who's fully arrived at that position outside of Christ uh, to be able to just answer from God's word because it's his words. So it's, yeah. Uh, it's yeah, that's one of the big things that we do that helps kind of apply it in uh, for the students. And, you know, we had uh, this Sunday, we brought in uh, a man named Brady Cohen to our church to speak. And he runs a ministry mm -hmm. called Calibrate Ministries, all about uh, the LGBT, you know, stuff and, and how he came out of that in walking into true Christianity and true redemption, as he saw, true mm -hmm. freedom. Uh, and just does a phenomenal job with those kind of things. And and so seeing that and constantly having that within our youth ministry uh, and, and pushing that into our church, uh, you know, with the adult ministry as well, uh, has been huge for our students because they're getting to hear topics that a lot of times the church avoids uh, being talked about from the pulpit. And it gives it a different authority, but then it also uh, makes it a topic that then it's it's out there. We can talk about a little bit more now. Uh, and that helps. And so that's why it's it's huge, that statement of don't be afraid to challenge them with apologetics. Because yeah. once somebody brings it up, then we can talk about it. And kids will ask, yeah. actually ask their questions. Uh, and yeah. that's been a big thing for us. And to do it in a loving way, I think yeah. that's uh, something we have to constantly reminder, be a reminder to our students is we want to speak the truth in love. We want to ask questions. We want to be loving. And when you do that, I think love becomes that ultimate apologetic. It's hard to resist because yeah. you really care about people and you're not just trying to win the argument. You're really trying to win their soul. And so, Ben, I, I really appreciate how you've brought all these truths together and really are building a gospel advancing ministry um, that is advancing the gospel, setting the pace for your community, setting the pace for your church, uh, and setting the pace across America to the youth leaders that know you. So... Man, praise God. Uh, put another plug in for uh, another gospel. Do you think uh, – don't put the plug – that sounds weird. Put, put another plug in for another gospel. The book called Another Gospel. Do you think youth leaders should get this book? Absolutely. This morning um, in our staff meeting at church, we were reading through 2 Corinthians 11. 
Uh, and it starts with that. I, I hope you'll bear with my foolishness a little longer because what you're seeing was people bringing in another gospel, another yeah. Jesus and Paul saying, yeah, and they're going to say that I'm, I'm stupid for saying things like this and going back to the simplicity of these things. And, mm. and uh, it's, uh, it, it's, I think that this book answers a lot of those things for youth leaders more than, than people realize, you know, I'm, I've been recommending it a lot to people. Uh, but yeah. man, it is, even I've got students, I'm going to have read this, uh, cause it's yeah. not beyond them. Uh, and it's good challenges and it's, it's answers to the questions that they want to hear. So I would absolutely, it is, uh, it's an essential tool in my, uh, in my opinion, uh, in this year, especially, I really think that it's essential. That's awesome. Well, Ben, thanks for being a part of the program. Uh, for those of you listening, uh, boy, get this book. Uh, by Elisa Childers, Another Gospel, really, really important for youth ministry. Keep advancing the gospel like Ben Phillips. Man, advance that gospel message. Uh, go to daretoshare.org and, boy, become a gospel-advancing, disciple, multiplying, truth-sharing, love, cross-bearing, every other adjective I can describe, youth group that is changing the world because the our teens are in desperate need of the hope of Christ. And the scriptures, they have the answers. It's God's word to us, fully reliable. And remember that a thriving youth ministry is a gospel-advancing ministry. Thanks for tuning in.